Hey there, for Milo, I am Preston, and you are listening to Side Gig, the show about what it really takes to start and run a successful side hustle. You know the host of the show, there's Ryan, Ian, and me, Preston. We've all built growing side businesses while thriving at a nine to five desk job, and we wanna help you do the same. I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's dive right into today's conversation, and I'll be back at the end of the show for some parting thoughts. We're going to dive right in to this first episode, which is sort of talking about uh, the sponsorship model. Like, There's obviously lots of side hustle options, thousands, if not millions of options for side businesses that could be successful. Uh, we all have, I think, have had experience in sponsorships. Actually, I know we all have had experience in, in sponsorships as a business model. Uh, so I guess... What you guys wanted to chat about today was was just kind of well well walk me through you know what are we hoping to get out of this conversation particularly on sponsorships. Uh, I know from my side one thing that you've done really well is um, brought in a considerable a considerable amount of um, your income through um, sponsorship. So from my side, um, I like to kind of learn how you've actually gone about finding sponsors um what you're actually providing to them um and you know like working out how much to to charge i i mean probably working out how much to charge is for for me is one of the biggest things because i from my side i i've got no idea how much you know like a piece of sponsored content is potentially worth to someone right, so it'd yeah. be really interesting to hear um from you your experiences on that side of things yeah and Preston, I'll, I'll add to that just real quick. Um, I've done probably maybe five or six sponsor posts on my blog in the history of my blog, right? So I'm, I'm by no means a pro at this. Um, so what I would be really interested in hearing is like your your prospecting process. So how do you identify potential um, you know sponsors? Do you send them an email? Do do people just come to you now? Uh, I'd be curious just to hear like maybe for someone like myself or someone who's even still further back and they're getting started journey with sponsorships. Um, how do you land your first couple of them? Okay, that's great. What if we, um, I think those were all sort of great talking points. What if we start with, yeah, how do you, how do you even like sort of build a model to even get sponsors in the first place? And then we can dive into, and you guys can maybe remind me throughout the episode, um, some of those earlier questions um, about, you know, how much to charge and, and all that sort of thing. But I think it'll flow nicely if we sort of start with like, how does a sponsorship model even work in the first place? And how do you maybe get your first few? Would that be all right? Yeah, sounds great. Cool. And I know, just to be clear, you know, obviously all three of us do have experience getting sponsors. I know, um, Ian, you've had sponsors on the podcast and, and maybe even elsewhere. Ryan, you know, you mentioned you, you have sponsors on your podcast as well, but you also have done some sponsored content on the site. And, um, and then, like you guys said, I've, I've done a ton of sponsorships at Milo for the longest time, for, you know, two or three years. That was basically our only form of income while I was doing it on the side because it lended itself to uh, not having to do tons of hourly work. So I was able to sort of outsource the management of the sponsorship. And then I just took responsibility for like the biz dev, the, the business development of, um, of, you know, finding sponsors, selling sponsors, booking sponsorships, all that sort of thing. But then I sort of turn it over to a team, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Basically, if, you know, if, if someone listening wants to build a sponsorship-based uh, business, 
really it's it's incredibly simple the only thing well it's it's simple in in uh in theory it's quite difficult in practice <laughs> because what you need to run a sponsorship business is an audience and uh next episode we're going to talk about a little bit about audience building so tune in for that um but but basically to run a sponsorship model you guys know this you need an audience first people aren't going to sponsor you unless you have you know eyeballs on your content or you know people listening to your podcast or a lot of people will run a whole business just on instagram and get sponsorships on instagram or on facebook um the, but the point is like you have to be able to reach target customers for potential sponsors and until you can get there that i mean it, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation right you you have to put in a lot of time to build an audience before you can get sponsors and especially before sponsors start reaching out to you. So I guess, I guess, uh, where do we go from here? I mean, that's, 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 I guess the foundation of a sponsorship model for me, finding sponsors is, is as, as simple as Googling, you know, for freelancers, because I talk to freelancers, most of, as most of the listeners here are members of the Milo audience. They are freelancers, they're solopreneurs, they're bootstrappers, entrepreneurs. And, and so I'll search, you know, for freelancers or for solopreneurs on Twitter or on Google or on Facebook or whatever. And, and, and a lot of times someone's little bio will say like, you know, simple accounting software for freelancers, right? And so then I put those guys in a list and, uh, and I'll reach out. I've, I've in the past, we've discussed this maybe a couple episodes ago. Uh, I've used in the past like reply.io, um, which I'll link in the show notes for sort of mass outreach, but I've landed on kind of more of a personalized method where I reach out to fewer people, but more high quality candidates with a more personalized message. I'm getting way, way into the weeds here. So, so help me out guys. Where, where should we go next? That was actually extremely helpful for me. Just thinking through like, you know, how do I even identify the kinds of companies that want to reach my audience? So what I took away from that was, first of all, know your audience. You have to know the people who are reading your blog or listening to your podcast, whatever sort of um, platform you're you're using to get sponsorships for. And then from there, find the types of companies that want to pay for access to those people. So I don't know. I mean, Ian, if you want to double click on something Preston just said, feel free to hop in. But for me, the next like logical place where this conversation goes is like, okay, so I know who these companies are. I've started throwing them into a list. Um, do you have kind of like best practices, Preston, in terms of like how you think about reaching out to these people, what you maybe say in an email, or do you try and pick up the phone and call? What What's kind of your first touch point with these potential sponsors? Uh, fantastic question. I will circle back real quick and say, uh, you said know, know who your audience is, you know, and I think uh, you can sort of arbitrarily build an audience and then figure out who they are and then try to align sponsors or you can actually, you know, let's say you let's say you want to work with, uh, um, like you like to barbecue or let, you like to grill, and you want to work with sponsors who sell grills and grill gadgets and whatever, all that sort of thing. Well, you could actually build an audience around that instead of just kind of letting your audience build itself and and hoping that you know, someone wants to reach those people eventually. Instead, talk to a certain group of people that you know there will be sponsors for that you can work with later. Now, I didn't do that, but I think if you're starting from scratch uh, and you really wanted to focus on a sponsorship model, you could you could definitely work that out. So I think um, for me, first step is after I've identified a potential sponsor, 
I, I honestly I put them in a list and I and I let the list grow before I take a lot of action because there's so many other facets of my business happening and so I'll dedicate time you know every week or every month to actually proactively go search for potential sponsors and then I'll also dedicate a time every week or month when I can actually reach out to those sponsors and right now um, we're getting quite a bit more inbound so I'm doing a little less but of the outbound stuff, but when I was doing a ton of outbound, it basically meant I I um, would find, uh, you know, we discussed this, I think last episode, it might have been two episodes ago, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we've, we talked about how to find an email address for someone you want to reach out to for a, you know, as a potential client or something like that. The process is exactly the same. I, I, I go to LinkedIn, I find out who works for the company, maybe a marketing director or a promotions director or a sponsorship guy or something. And then I reach out to them via email using a little tool Chrome extension called Hunter. And, um, and I email that person and I, and, and it's just like you said, Ryan, last time, it's a very non-committal email. It's, it's very like, hi, my name is Preston. I run this website. We talk to thousands of freelancers and solopreneurs. I sort of humble brag my way through that email a little bit. They know a pitch is going to come eventually because it's a cold email, but I sort of humble brag my way through it. And I say, I'd love to find a way that we could partner. And to be completely honest with you, sometimes those turn into affiliate arrangements. Sometimes those turn into content partnerships and, and oftentimes those turn into sponsorships as well. I just wanted to add, while you're on that topic, um, you mentioned that when you're um, searching for potential sponsors, you're um, like searching through um, Twitter and so on. And um, for me, that sounds like what a, a, a difficult way to do it. Um, like the, the way that I've personally done it is um, I'd look at other people that are doing similar things and I'll listen to their um, podcasts or read their blogs and then just have a look to see who's. Um, sponsoring them and uh, for me uh, I just find that easier because um, it's just because they're sponsoring that person it's already an indication that they do sponsor um, content similar to mine and they'd be quite likely to actually um, sponsor me and I, I assume that you do that as well but you're you, it seems like you're um, the, the process that you're taking you're looking for kind of mass volumes of potential sponsors to reach out to that's a really good point to bring up. I do that as well. I, I would say that um, is sort of the low-hanging fruit. So I'm glad we circled back to that because um, I think, you know, if you're trying to get your first sponsor, it is a lot less, there's a lot fewer barriers to people who are already running a sponsorship program, who already have budget for sponsorships, who already understand the value of sponsorships. Um, it's kind of like, Ryan talked about before, you know, if they already have a content team or someone trying to do content or they already have a blog, like you don't have to convince them in the first place that content marketing is important. It's the same with sponsorships. If you don't have to convince someone first that sponsoring content is a good idea, then that's one, one less barrier to entry. So I, I really, really appreciate you bringing that up. I do that for sure. Um, there are pros and cons to both. Part of the con to that method is everyone is is emailing those people people are knocking their door down saying you know i do this too sponsor me too i noticed you sponsored them sponsor us and so there there is a little bit more volume there but um and i would say too those companies often plan out their budgets way farther in advance 
and or they've already spent their budgets. And so, uh, you, you know, you can reach out to them and, and they'll say, yeah, sorry, we already committed the full year's budget to, you know, 20 different podcasts and we're just testing to see which ones work the best, but we'll talk to you in a year when we're done testing. <laughs> and so that can be a little bit rough, but obviously there is a lot of positive to that as well, as I mentioned. So I'd say, you know, the, the companies that aren't actively sponsoring already are do quite often, you know, uh, try a sponsorship with us. We'll also, will a lot of times be like the first test that they'll run as a sponsor for something. So it just kind of depends. I, I think, yeah, it can come from, from both places quite well. I think one little side note to add on to what you just said, Preston is, um, you know, companies that are good candidates for sponsoring content on your site are people that are in your industry who also run affiliate programs. Um, I think that's a good way to sort of like Absolutely. figure out the people that are willing to to fork over some dollar amount in order to acquire a new customer. And that's kind of like what it comes back to for me in terms of the people that I've actually reached out and pitched on doing sponsored content is that I was already a member of their affiliate program. So they can see that I've driven you know some traffic or some signups. Um, and that's kind of like an easy way to open the door to a, a bigger collaboration. Absolutely. In fact, some some people will start as an affiliate test. And as soon as they realize that they they would rather just pay like a flat fee, sometimes I'll we'll switch over to that. Or sometimes we'll do a hybrid, you know, like pay me a flat fee for 10 episodes of a podcast. And then any customers we drive, you'll also pay me X percent on top of the flat fee. So that way they know they can get their money back at least, you know, on the flat fee. But, but then they can also, I'm also incentivized to drive extra customers because I get a percentage. Hey everyone, Preston here with a quick interruption. Running a side hustle can be exhausting and it can leave you drained at the end of the week. You know what I'm talking about. And if you're looking for a unique way to be more productive with your time, then you should maybe take a look at Azoth. Azoth is a dietary supplement company driven to increasing human productivity. And side hustling listeners of this show can use coupon code SIDEGIG, which will give you 10% off the list price at seekingazoff.com. Support for this episode comes from The Neat Company. When you're running your own business, there's a lot to keep track of. You've got business receipts, invoices, business cards, lots more. Neat lets you eliminate extra paperwork and avoid hours of data entry. Instead, using the Neat app, your email, or a scanner, you can input all of your important documents quickly and easily. Neat will then verify all your information is organized and accurate and make everything searchable. So, if all you can remember is the first name of that client from two years ago, Neat can help you find their invoice fast. From there, you can create financial reports to use yourself or easily share them with your accountant. Listeners of this show can try Neat completely free for 30 days by visiting neat.com slash sidegig. That's 30 days completely free when you visit neat.com slash sidegig. And now back to our conversation. So this actually, this also brought up a, another really interesting question for me as you were talking, Preston. Um, how many people or, you know, do you have any guidelines or hard and fast rules for someone listening today um, about how large their audience should be, whether that's on Instagram, a blog, a podcast, whatever, um, before you go out and start trying to sell sponsorships to that audience? Is there kind of like a, a benchmark that people should have in mind or is it sort of uh, uh, whatever you can pitch and make work? That's such a hard question to answer because... Well, and I'd love your guys' take on it as well, because I know we each have audiences of, of varying kinds of people and of, of varying sizes. 
Um, uh, I would say it's hard to it's hard to say because I have found um, in the freelancing space there's not a ton of huge uh, sites. You know, there used to be like Envato used to have uh, Freelance Switch, which maybe you guys have heard of. It was it was a big deal when it was live, but they pulled it down. There's not like huge sites, you know, like um, like these huge media conglomerates or anything. No one's running like big freelancing sites. Uh, and when I say big, I mean like millions of page views a month. And so it's it's fairly easy for me to sell a smaller sponsorship package that's really targeted um, for a decent amount of money. and. And but then, like I have a friend who sells um, sponsorships on an on a food based Instagram, and he has the hardest time uh, finding sponsors that want to pay a decent amount. You know, he has like over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, and he is unable to to sell any massive sponsorships because there's wow. a million places for you know like Hostess or whoever to sponsor and to advertise, and so. It, it, I think it depends completely on your audience. And, and I know that's not the greatest answer, but it depends. You have to kind of know your audience and test things. I would say start small if you can, like try it. If you have 10,000 email subscribers, try seeing if you try seeing if you can get, you know, smaller companies to do smaller sponsorships and any little bit will sort of teach you about how that all works. That was a long answer. Sorry. I, th- I think it's worth adding with, with, um, with my podcast, I'd never done any podcasts. And um, I, I approached Fresh FreshBooks at that point, and they was interested in sponsoring, even though I didn't um, ever actually do any podcast or, or have any numbers. What they was interested in was email numbers and social media numbers. And my email data, I, I don't have huge amounts. I mean, the um, list that I um, pitched to them, which was part of the deal, is only around ten thousand, like like you said. So. Um, I, I think it's one of those things. You obviously need something of um, substance to trade. Um, but I, I think even if you have a few thousand emails, there's obviously some value to the audience, especially if there's some quality to it. So like you said, it's probably worth trying because I, I, I honestly didn't expect to actually get a decent sponsor at the um, point that I did. So it's worth, it's worth trying because you never know. Yeah, I, I would say you can probably get it earlier than you think you can. I mean, if there's anything to take away from this conversation, I'd say it's that. You can probably find a sponsor to pay you at least a dollar or a pound for something mm-hmm. that you can offer. And you might not be booking five-figure sponsorships, you know, right away. But um, but every little bit, will if you can reinvest that in building your audience, which again, we'll talk about next episode, building email lists, building audiences... Uh, if you can reinvest that, then, you know, potentially you're just scaling this business bit by bit. I think that's really good advice. And and maybe you can even get like more creative with the structure of the deal too, while you're early on. Right. So like maybe, maybe you only get a uh, hundred bucks or 200 bucks or something up front in cash, but then you get some sort of like referral as you, you mentioned Preston earlier, like some sort of referral bonus for every sign up or every, you know, paid customer or something that you refer. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, what company wouldn't say yes to a test if you could say this other affiliate that I've been working with, uh, I got them 10 signups last month. And I've noticed that a signup on your site looks like it's worth about X to you. So I'm thinking maybe we could do a test at, you know, X times 10. Uh, 
and and I bet I can drive 10 signups to your site and we'll all walk away happy. So you have to sort of think of it from their point of view. Their job is to make their boss happy by making their ROI positive. So any investment that they make in a sponsor or elsewhere, they want to make the money back and hopefully make it back in spades. And the more you can convince them that you will do your best to help them do that, the more likely you are to seal the deal. I think that leads on nicely to one of the questions I had at the start of this, um, which was, how do you know how much to charge? And I'm going to add to this as well. What is it that you're offering for that um, money as well? I will say this is, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the ever, the ongoing never ending debate of pricing structure that a lot of designers and creatives and freelancers, you know, hourly versus project versus value driven pricing. I will say this is probably the closest to value driven pricing. Um, and, and that is because I just list a bunch of ways I'm going to give value back to the sponsor. And then I kind of arbitrarily, not anymore, but in the beginning, I arbitrarily picked um, a price. So, so there's sort of value based that way. But then there's also, you know, I know this guy, uh, Raul, he runs Graphic Burger, and he has a, an email list of 250,000 people. And so he sells sponsorships on a CPM basis. It's like, it's like uh, $12 CPM, which sorry, a CPM is, is for listeners or, or either of you, I, a CPM is a cost per thousand. So for every thousand subscribers that you reach, you pay him, you know, $12 or something. So if he sends to a quarter of a million people, then that's 240 times 12, which I'm not great at math, but it'd be about 2,500 bucks. So, um, so he does that strictly based on the numbers. I, however, I'll say, you know, um, here's how many email subscribers we have. Here's how many clicks we'll see if the content is good. Uh, here's how many conversions we were able to drive for a similar sponsor to you. And, and here's what I think we can do. And also I'll throw in, you know, a free banner on the side of the site and a free social media shout out. And, uh, you know, for only a little bit more, I'll do a follow-up email that says like to anyone who didn't open it, Hey, did you miss this email? We wanted to share this offer with you. So there are extra things that you can sort of add value. Uh, to really make sure that, that the deal gets sealed. That's um, very similar to what I did with um, uh, my uh, podcast. It, it wasn't just um, like a, a pre-roll and a, a mid-roll placement. I actually offered in, um, you know, an email blast to X number of um, people per episode and a shout out on social media to X number of people. So I, I think I took the same route with that. And I think you're right. It is um, basically providing value and trying to get as much as you can <laughs> back for it that's my yeah. that's been my approach anyway i've i've never known how much i could potentially get so i've literally thrown out a figure um based on conversations with you guys and that's how i've got my um sponsorship on my podcast and i think in the early days i even took direction from the potential sponsor which I don't know if that was a good practice or not, but it got me sponsorship money early on. It was basically like, hey, please sponsor my podcast. And they were like, well, for an email list that size and a brand new podcast and blah, 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 blah. We usually do about, I don't remember what it was, $500 an episode or something. And I was like, great, done. Let's do it. You know? So uh, I think it'll take you a while to figure out exactly what to charge. And it's always changing for me. Your numbers change. Your ambitions change. 
um, the the offering that you have changes. So it'll it'll change. So Preston, another another question that I had, um, <laughs> almost as much out of personal interest here, is like how you have negotiated your way into some of the like you mentioned earlier, five figure sponsorships, right? So a lot of this is based on the size and the engagement of your audience and stuff. But like, what have you had any experiences where like sponsors try and come back to you with a low, much lower number than what you initially sort of pitch out to them? And how do you like, how do you deal with that negotiation process? I guess is what I'm um, asking you. Oh boy, uh, we're really peeling back the curtain here. <laughs> I feel uh, I feel a little bit vulnerable here. <laughs> well, you talking don't have about to use specific names. <laughs> no, no, no. I <laughs> well, I definitely won't use specific names, but but I will say just as a caveat, I I have negotiated very few five figure deal, meaning they ended up as full five figure deals. I would say most of the deals I've done, just so people can get a, a you know a a scale. Um, or some context, I'd say most of them are mid to high four figures. So we're talking five to $10,000 sponsorships. Um, I guess 10,000 would cross over. So five to $9,000 sponsorships. And, and, um, and so that's, that's what I'm working with. And I would do a ton of, you know, a thousand to 2000 or little bitty ones here and there, like $400, Mm. $500. But those can add up over time. So uh, now I'm rambling and I forgot your question. (laughs) <laughs> How do you negotiate with a partner that like, comes back to you with a low-balled number? I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, here's why I'm feeling vulnerable because the the real truth is it depends a lot on how my business is doing that month. So um, if I have made a ton of sales and we're booked out for the next few months on sponsorships, sponsored posts, sponsored podcasts, whatever, everything's booked out, then I'll hardball a little bit more. You know, and I'll I'll be a little bit harder to negotiate with. If we are low on numbers and I just can't get anyone to sign a contract or anything, I will take a lower offer. So it kind of depends, you know, where I'm at. But but I will say, like everyone always wants something cheaper than what you offer. So there are a couple things I would do for that. I would start higher than what you actually want or need to to make it a good opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be the first thing. The second thing uh, would be to make sure that you truly feel like you're providing the value that you say you're providing. It can be really hard to to um, to push for a higher number if deep down in your heart you feel like it's not actually worth what you're asking for. So if you're asking for five grand for a, a sponsorship across your site, and you you and your last sponsor paid five grand, but they um, they lost a bunch of money on the campaign and it wasn't successful for them. It's really hard to like, it's really hard to say, no, I feel like 5,000 is a fair price. I'm sticking to it to your next sponsor. Right? So it can be, it can be a little difficult that way. I think you have to make sure you're, you're providing value and, uh, and, and it depends all on, on where your business is at in the moment, in my opinion. I, what, what do you guys think? I'm curious uh, how you've handled that. I'm sure you've dealt with that as well. Uh, I know from my side, the first season on my podcast, I because I hadn't done anything, um, I went in with a figure that was probably lower than what I could have got. And um, but I, I mean, because it was the first time that I did it and um, because creating a podcast is something that I wanted to personally do. And I was speaking to friends and idols of mine, you know, I was I was excited about doing it. So any money I got was 
uh, was right, a, yeah. a bonus. But yeah. the second season, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get FreshBooks as a sponsor again. Um, I, I, I asked um, initially, and they wasn't sure based on the numbers, but then they came back to me um, like about two months later, and I was at a point where I was um, looking for other sponsors and speaking to other people. So because they came to me, I felt like I had a little bit of wiggle room to try to increase the price. So I, I actually went in with a higher figure than what I did um, for the first season. And even though they were reluctant at first, um, it did feel like they were trying to push the price back to what it was. We, um, we did agree on um, that I would hit certain figures uh, within the first week of um, that launch. So from, from my side, I, I agreed that I would do that. And uh, what I did is uh, every time I, I launched something, I just did an extra push than what I would normally do. You know, I do some paid advertising and stuff like that. Yeah. But the budget was there. So um, I, I, I think it's one of those things. It's not easy to ask for more or um, to, to push back. But in that event, because they did approach me, I felt like, I've obviously got something of some value to them. So I'm going to, you know, um, keep my, um, like stamp my feet and like, this is what it's going to be. And, um, cross my fingers because I got other options as well. And, uh, they went ahead. So how about you, Ryan? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I actually have had similar experiences. Um, so I will say starting high, um, is a must and you might be surprised with what people agree to. Um, but I think if I were, if I were to tie tie everything you guys just said together, echoing the same sentiments too, is like put yourself in a position where you don't need it, where you don't need that income as much as possible, right? So obviously, if it's your full time business, then you 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 want to maximize your amount of income. But to to sort of bring things back to the title of our show here, the podcast, um, you know, when you're working on one of these business models as a side project, as your non full time source of income. One of the luxuries that you have is that you probably at least don't need the income for, you know, covering all your bills and such. It's nice to have money, right? So you can sort of be a little bit more choosy about the number that you agree on at the end of the day. And, and you can't be really afraid great. to walk away from a bad deal or a potentially bad partnership too, that you're just not going to feel good about. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. All right. <laughs> what else? Anything? Yeah. I mean, we have we have maybe a few minutes left here uh, to to wrap anything up. Are there any loose ends we need to tie up? That's right. We've gone into good detail and answered all of the questions. So, I thought that was pretty damn good. Great. Well, we'll take it. We'll uh, we'll wrap up this episode, <laughs> and uh, and next episode we are going to be chatting about building an audience or potentially an email list. It can go very nicely hand in hand with this conversation. So, thank you guys so much, and we will talk next episode. Thank you. There it is. A big thanks to Ryan and Ian for their help with today's episode. Be sure to check out their podcasts in the show notes of this episode as well. Before we jump off the air, remember to visit sidegigshow.com where you can subscribe to receive regular updates about the show and other podcasts by Milo as well. Sidegig is a production of Milo. You can learn more about us and listen to our other podcasts at millo.co. This show was edited by the very talented Danny Gilman at echopodmedia.com. Thanks, Danny. Keep hustling, everybody, and we will see you in the next episode of Sidegig. Gig.